on this episode of the Answers on Aging podcast. The next question is, do my estate planning documents, like my powers of attorney, my will, all that, if it's created in Iowa and I move to Florida, are those Iowa documents still valid in Florida? Welcome to the Answers on Aging podcast. This podcast provides solutions to your questions and commonly faced challenges about caregiving, legal, and financial issues, personal struggles associated with the normal aspects of aging, and the unforeseen obstacles that oftentimes can be life-altering and even devastating. Each episode dissects real life, real-time issues, and will often feature special guests who bring expert-level knowledge and free resources straight to you. This podcast is hosted by certified elder law attorney Todd Watley and licensed nursing home administrator Sarah Scott. Together, these aging experts bring an impressive combined 30-plus years of experience to the table in order to give you all the answers on aging. That's right. This is the Answers on Aging podcast, and we are very thankful that you are here with us. And um, as always, I am here with my co-host, Sarah Scott. Hey, Todd Watley, and welcome everybody to the Answers on Aging fabulous podcast. We are bringing you a fresh new episode today to once again give you some answers to the questions that all of y'all have um, either submitted or ask, and so we're going to just dive right in, but before we do that, we want to say a big, big thank you to all of you who are um, improving the projection of aging by getting all the knowledge you need right here with us. That's very good. Yeah. Very good. Yes, right. thank you for sharing. Thank you for, yeah, it's growing, so we are very thankful for that. We are. So, um, hopefully you have listened to a previous episode that we answered some frequently asked questions, and because there are so many, we wanted to do kind of a twofer or a part two for um, answering more of those frequently asked questions. Yeah. So, the first one is... What is the difference between putting somebody as a co-owner on my bank account or having them as my payable on death beneficiary? Very good. Yeah, that is extremely um, popular question, and there's some major issues with that. A lot of people, and even banks, tell people, oh, just put your kid on there as co-owner so that way they can sign checks and mm -hmm. they can also get the money if you pass away or when you pass away they get the money so mm -hmm. oh yeah that's a great idea until that child goes through bankruptcy divorce or a lawsuit yeah. or they just think i need money mm -hmm. i can sign checks on this account and i will go take that money yeah mom will never notice even well, if she does i'm a co-owner so Absolutely. And so I get those phone calls periodically from people saying, Todd, my child just took money out of my bank account. I'm like, well, how did they do that if it's your bank account? And finally, they'll say, well, I added their name on there, but they weren't supposed to take all my money out. Well, I know they weren't supposed to, but they can and did. And there is nothing we can do about it because they took their money. And they're like, no, Todd, that's my money. I said, well, it was your money until you added their name to that bank account and it became their money and they just took their money. So there is nothing I can do against them. There is no fiduciary duty. There is no obligation whatsoever. It's their money and they took it. And, 
What? Well, I was just thinking, I can't help but think of, you know, when I was a little kid, if I was sitting at the table and got up and somebody got my seat and I came back and I'm like, hey, that's my seat. And they're like, is your name on it? <laughs> right. Well, yeah. No, no, then so it's not it's yours. Right. Well, if your name is on the bank account, it's, it's yours. It, it, it's yours. And so they can take it. And even though your sweet little darling would never steal your money, their creditors might. Mm-hmm. Okay. And mm-hmm. so it is not a good idea to add your kid's name at, on there as PO, or as co-owner. What you want to do, and the reason people do that are two things. Number one, they want the kid to be able to sign checks. That's I understand that. And number two, they want to make sure this bank account goes to the kid at the time of their death. So the way you fix that, number one, so they can sign checks is name that child as your agent under a financial power of attorney. That way they can sign checks, but the difference is they now have a fiduciary duty to use the money in your best interest, not their best interest. And so when, you know, it's your bank account, but the power of attorney lets them sign, but they have a high level of duty to that money and can't just take it and run off with it. So number two is I want this money to go to them at death. Yes, I understand that. That's important too, but name them as the payable on death beneficiary of that account, not the co-owner. There you go. That way, at your death, they walk in with a death certificate and they get the money. Mm-hmm. End of story. End of story. So, since you mentioned death certificates, mm-hmm. one common question is how many death certificates do I need to have on hand or does my family need to request when I die? Yeah. Get more than you need, okay? Because it is generally cheaper. I'll catch that in processing. Okay. So okay. now that we're talking about um, death certificates, you mm-hmm. just mentioned, one common question is, how many death certificates should I have on file? Yeah, that's a good question. And my my answer is I always get plenty, and I'll explain plenty in just a second. But the issue is when a person dies and you go through a funeral home, it is my understanding they can print those there. And okay. so they have the authority to print those there, and they can get you as many copies as you need. I mean, they'll charge like 10 bucks each, but it's probably going to be more mm-hmm. if you go back to the state later and say, hey, I need a death certificate. It could be 15 or 20 bucks a piece. So you, you want to get plenty up front. And I would suggest plenty if the person who just died has like one bank account and, you know, just very basic stuff, you could probably get by with five or so. Mm -hmm. But almost always there's going to be a bank account, investment account, and just different things come up, medical bills, all kinds of things where they're going to want to know that this person died. And many times they want an original death certificate. And so... I tell people almost always get 10. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that's 100 bucks out of your pocket, but it's a whole lot cheaper and it's easy to have those available. But if your loved one had multiple bank accounts and different things going on and lived a somewhat complicated life, you may want to get 15 or 20. Yeah. Because so many people want original death certificates and it's so much easier and quicker to get it up front. So at least get 10 and possibly think about 15 or 20. 
Got it. Um, so let's talk about the safe deposit box mm. at the bank. Yeah. I mean, if you're not on the list mm-hmm. to get access into that box, you're not you getting can't, in. Yeah. But who needs to know about that? Where do you keep the key? Like, what are the rules about those? Yeah. Generally, even if you've done a trust, the trust doesn't die when you die, but banks typically do not recognize trustees as people with authority to get into the, the safe deposit box. They are looking at, um, at people. They want a person who can produce a driver's license or some form of ID who can stand there and sign a card and get into this box. So that is frustrating because I always tell people, you know, the trust does great things. It avoids a whole lot of issues and we have people in the trust named to do things, but that does not apply to the safe deposit box. You have to name a person and that person has to be able to have their version of the key. You know, there's two keys in the safe deposit box. The bank has their key and the person who owns it has their key. And so two things, that person has to be named and that person has to know where to get the key. Mm So you've got to work that out with a trusted person because if their name's on there, they're entitled to whatever's in that box. And so if you have multiple kids, but you just named one kid as the person who can get into the safe deposit box, if things are ugly at the time of your death, that child can go to the bank, open up that safe deposit box and take everything out of it. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people keep gold coins, Mm -hmm. you know, valuable things that are owned by the person who's holding it in their hand. And so you need to understand that and make sure that person can be trusted so that, and even if you name multiple people, it's whoever shows up first and opens up the safe deposit box, they can take that stuff. So it needs to be someone that you trust, but their name has to be on the box and they have to know where the key is. So work that out with, we give our clients their documents in a three-ring binder that has a pocket in the front. Mm-hmm. And many times people put all of their important things in that three-ring binder. That's a great place to put the key as long as someone knows where to get it, your successor trustee or agent under the power of attorney, even though, remember, your power of attorney dies when you die. Mm-hmm. So your agent under the power of attorney doesn't have any power, but they should know where this three ring binder is and have your key in there so that they know where to get it and they can go get your stuff out of the box. If you don't have someone named and there is no one who can get into that box, typically they're going to need a court order. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to go to court and open up some kind of action, a probate or something simply to have the authority to tell the bank, get into this box, and if you don't have the key, they're going to drill it, and they charge money for that. Okay, good to know. So now, I've had people ask before, you know, well, I, or, or say, I've got a trust, I'm good, right? I don't need anything else, and it's like, well, no, there's a lot of other things that are important, yeah. and are completely unrelated to the trust, right. like powers of attorney. So yeah. should people who already have a trust, also have a power of attorney in place? Yep, good question. So the trust, own, you know, the trustee, of the, the, the person who controls the trust is the trustee. That person or corporation only controls things that are in the trust. So if you've transferred your house into the trust, 
the trustee has the power to sell that house and sign the paperwork to transfer it. If you've transferred bank accounts and thing in, you know, bank accounts, investment accounts, things like that into the trust, then the trustee has the power to manage it. And they are told by the trust what to do with it. And so they manage, the trustee manages things in the trust. There will typically always be things that are not in the trust. Your IRA will never be in the trust while you're alive or else it is not an IRA. The I and IRA stands for individual. So your IRA will always be in your name, not in the trust. And so therefore you are the only one who can manage that or the, um, the agent under a power of attorney, if you give them the power to manage that asset. Mm -hmm. So you do need powers of attorney and there's just contracts that need to be signed. If you go into the nursing home, I mean, a lot of that is financial. And so therefore your agent under the power of attorney will need to sign things at the nursing home or, you know, just things come up all the time that are not related to the trust. It's related to you individually. And therefore you need to have an agent under the power of attorney who can handle things that are not in the trust. My recommendation is when you name trustees in your trust, your, your power of attorney agent should mirror that. So if the first trustee is John, the agent under the power of attorney should be John. If the second trustee is Betty, then the, the second agent is Betty. That way we know first John's going to do everything. It's just, is he, wearing the trustee hat or is he wearing the agent under the power of attorney hat? He, he is the one to do stuff and with the trustee language and the power of attorney language, he has the power to do whatever needs to be done. Got it. Okay. This question made me kind of laugh, but it's a fair question. Do I have to keep all of my receipts for five years? Okay. And that's in reference to the five-year look back for Medicaid. So if you have someone who is ill and you see nursing home care coming and you're going to apply for Medicaid, please understand on the date of application, you are going to have to answer the question, what have you done with your stuff for the previous five years? States treat this differently. The two states that I am licensed in, Arkansas and Oklahoma, do this very differently. Arkansas typically asks for three months worth of bank statements, and they'll they'll go through those and see if there's any weird. But by law, you are to tell them if you have transferred anything for less than fair market value. And that five-year look back is primarily looking for gifts. Have you given anything away? You're supposed to tell them, but then many times they will look. And so Arkansas does three months. Oklahoma does five years. You have to supply five years worth of bank statements on every bank account that you have. And so they're going to go through and look for anything suspicious. Typically, now, yes, it is a great idea if you kept every receipt for five years. That would be fantastic. But who does that? Okay, you don't know when five years is. You don't know when you're going into the nursing home. So realistically, most people don't do that. If if you make large purchases like a boat or a you know car or things like that, you probably do want to keep that because they will look at that and say, "What was this large transaction Mm -hmm. for?" But Walmart, grocery store, gas station, you know church donations, things like that probably are just going to fly 
under the radar. They don't care. They are looking for big things and they expect you to tell them for big things. But typically, if you've not kept receipts for five years, it's going to be okay. Okay. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so. I that made that got really relieved when you got in that answer. Sure. Okay. So the next question is, do my estate planning documents, like my powers of attorney, my mm-hmm. will, all that, if it's created in Iowa and I move to Florida, are those Iowa documents still valid in Florida? Yeah, good question. And we get that a lot here in Northwest Arkansas. A lot of people move here. Walmart's here, Tyson's here, and the kids move here and the parents follow. And so we we have a lot of transplants, particularly from like California and up north, because mm-hmm. we have four seasons here and our winter's not that bad. So a lot of people move here. And that's a very common question. And so the answer is, you know, the answer The legal answer is not the practical answer. The legal answer is, yes, your documents are legal in a state when you move there. However, estate planning is very state-specific. Every state does estate planning rules differently. And so even though your trust is still a trust in Arkansas, even though it was done in Iowa, that doesn't mean that everything in that trust will work in Arkansas. And probably the biggest trouble is if you move here and you don't update it to an Arkansas trust, you've and you died here, if you have any assets back in Iowa, mm-hmm. real estate or things like that, bank accounts, you know, things that we have to deal with, then we've got to find an Iowa attorney to handle the things there because they're licensed in that state and they know that state's laws, but you're, you're now living here. And so a lot of your things are going to be dealt with here. So you've doubled your legal fees so that the things in Iowa follow this Iowa trust, but then our, but then you need an, an Arkansas attorney to make sure things are done in Arkansas based on Arkansas law. And there may be conflicts within your document that cause that to be a real problem. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to completely redo your trust. You should. And if you'll notice, it'll say this trust is based on your current state's laws. And that's also known as the CITUS, S-I-T-U-S of the trust. And so when you move here from Iowa, your trust will be an Iowa trust and the situs of that trust will be Iowa. It's pretty easy to say, hey, we're now changing the situs of this trust to be an Arkansas trust. Mm -hmm. And so it can be a fairly easy process to say this trust, we now determine that it's an Arkansas trust Mm -hmm. and it should fall under Arkansas law. So now... The legal work in Iowa is much less. We just have someone transfer it to us or do whatever rather than manage the trust under Iowa law in Arkansas. Now we can do it just in Arkansas. And I will tell you, you know, so that's the trust. But I will tell you for like powers of attorney, if your agent is trying to get an Arkansas bank to do something with an Iowa power of attorney, Mm -hmm. they're going to have substantial difficulty. And I will tell you, states are pretty similar on trust and on powers of attorney. There's a uniform trust code and there's a uniform power of attorney code. So most states are close, pretty close on that. But healthcare is very different. Mm-hmm. 
you will find even between Oklahoma and Arkansas, and we live right on the border, and I see this a lot between the two states. Our healthcare document rules are very different. And so if someone moves to Arkansas from Oklahoma, they need to completely redo their health care documents because Arkansas law is very different as to witnesses and notaries and just the language of it. And particularly if someone moves from Arkansas to Oklahoma, they need to redo documents because Oklahoma has very different laws. So it is a very good idea to have a local attorney look at your documents and not only determine if they're legal, they are legal, but to make your life easier and your trustees and your agent's life easier and better, you probably want to update those documents in the new state. Got it. Very long answer. Long I'm answer. sorry. It's okay. No, that's fine. Absolutely. There's a lot of stuff in that simple question. I know. It seems like a simple, easy question, but, you know, with legal stuff it's not always simple and easy it's so. funny when i do these coffee with the pros and that's where these questions came from you know people will ask a very simple question it's like how do i get on medicaid mm-hmm. oh geez well and i'm becoming fair I, I am self-conscious about the length of the answers and yeah. so now i'll say look that seems like a very simple question and i could answer it in two or three words but it would not make sense to you so I need to do some prep work to, you know, tell you some things, teach you some things so that my answer does actually make sense. And it turns into like I did this yesterday and um, the first two questions took 28 minutes. Yeah, it was a while. Yeah, but they were very comprehensive, which Mm -hmm. eliminates a lot of the need to explain things later on because the follow up questions were versions of the first question so yeah there are very long answers sometimes to fully understand the yeah that's true answer it's like mm-hmm. okay that doesn't make sense to me so you do need to understand some background stuff and that's what I like to do and I try to do it as quickly and efficiently as possible but sometimes it just takes time yeah yeah that's okay oh well. save save time later by listening to all these episodes yeah now yeah learn all you need to know and um yeah, keep tuning in each week to learn more. And we just really appreciate all of you downloading and listening and sharing. Well, and I just want to jump in real quick. Please share because Sarah does the initial visits in our office and it's typically phone calls and people bring up issues and she will mention the podcast and they're like, oh, that's great. Yeah. I, I can just go and I can listen to this on my own. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Pretty much without fail, everybody says, I'm so glad you told me about that. And so we don't make any money off this. So I'm not trying to get you to tell people so we make more money. I'm just saying we do this as a laborer of love. We may eventually make money, but trust me, we don't right now. (laughs) But if you're in a group of older people and the conversation dies down or someone asks a question, say, hey, just so you know, there's this podcast out there that they – they answered that exact question. Mm-hmm. And I did a, a meeting this morning. It was two brothers who were probably my age, if not younger. And I mentioned it to them. And they're like, that's okay, great. Yeah. I can go listen and I can get in-depth information on this. So really, you know, we it's not just something we say. Please share this. Tell yeah. people because almost everybody that we tell about it are like, that's fantastic news. Yeah. So thank you for listening. But 
we do mean it, please share this with people because this is great information. And there's so many misconceptions out there. People lose tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars through probate, through Medicaid, you know, long-term care that can be prevented with knowledge. And that's why we do this. And so please, please share. It's just not something we say. We truly do mean please share with people. And I think they will thank you for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, y'all. Thank you so much. Have a great week and catch us back here next week. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to the Answers on Aging podcast with Todd and Sarah. Be sure to hit subscribe and keep tuning in each week as they bring you helpful, useful, and easy to find resources for making life as we age as simple and enjoyable as possible. For more information about this episode, visit AnswersOnAgingPodcast.com. Click on the show notes tab and take advantage of the free resources right there at your fingertips. To see Todd and Sarah live, check out our Facebook page, Answers on Aging, to catch a live feed of their radio show every Wednesday morning from 9 to 10 o'clock. Todd and Sarah welcome feedback and love to answer your questions. So please, let them know what you think by leaving a review and share with your friends and family.